I'm Eddie Michelson. I'm Lucas Anderton. And this is Go Wonk Yourself. Season two. Season two. Attempt number two at season two, I might add. <laughs> I don't know if we ever published the episode. I don't think we did. No, I don't believe we did. But yeah, we made an episode at like... It was the, really bad. It was so bad. There was just... But now we're back with uh, Vengeance, so we're good to go. And we're back and better than ever. I'd and say. we actually came back at a really interesting time because right now the Democrats are ripping each other's throats out, uh, seeking out the nomination for president. Well, it's so funny to me because like the same people who are writing all over Facebook about how we need to have clean primaries and stuff. Oh and, yeah, like, let's and not tear each other down. <laughs> now they're all retweeting like, "Why does Beto O'Rourke have blah blah blah?" Like yeah. they're all like, "Well, he's a hacker, so." I think that's cool. I actually really do think that's cool. Yeah. Like, we're at that point where people who grew up on computers are running for president. Like, yeah, no, that is interesting. Like, as a really teenager, he had access that, to a computer. Yeah, Richard Nixon didn't. Wow. That's nuts. That but yeah, crazy. no, it's the same people who are tweeting about um, how we should need, need to have these clean primaries. They're the ones who are retweeting the articles about how... Bernie Sanders, blah, 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 Hillary Clinton, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, why? I think primaries themselves are particularly divisive because they really get to the serious ideological differences within the parties. It's not just them hitting each other because they're of a different party. There's like serious ideological differences between a lot of the candidates. And I think that gets really ugly. It's intentional segmentation. Yeah. You know, everyone finds their segment of the party um they, and they need to differenti- differentiate themselves and eventually someone matches the right parts of the party just perfectly in the right package and in that case it was donald trump last time <laughs> i guess wow you could um, say that and hillary clinton but it's it's interesting to me how quickly the democratic primary is resembling the republican one in 2016 it um, does yeah everyone wants to redefine the party yeah. they want to because they see a void right now uh they see a I would, instead of a void, I think the Republicans will be seeing a void, but the Democrats are seeing an opportunity and mm-hmm. they, everyone wants to be the standard bearer into this new era of Democrats. And so that's why it's a really, I mean, this is the fight of their lives. It is. And, but I mean, I struggle with it because I, I love everybody running. Um, they were all everybody, not everybody. You know what I mean though? There is no clear front runner in my mind personally. Um, like, strategically speaking, there might be, like, I can think in my head of, like, who in my mind is the most electable and stuff. Beto's brought in some cash. He has. Kamala Harris and Bernie both. Bernie brought in an yeah. insane amount of cash. Um, But, like, but in my personal feelings, there's no, like, specific front runner Because they were all great Democrats. A lot of them were great Democrats in my mind. That doesn't mean I wanted them to run for president. But look back at um the Republican primary. There was no, I mean, Those who were was good clear- Republicans? No, I no, I I'm saying like in that pool, like there was no clear like oh yeah, this person's gonna be the next president of the United States. Like it just wasn't clear at that time. But was w- do we think of it that way? Because that's the expectation. Because in our generation, we had Hillary Clinton who was set up to be the nominee before mm-hmm. anything got started. Um, she was set up in 2008, but then. A no-name senator. Anyways. Um, <laughs> That's but, a different story. But isn't this... Maybe this is what primaries are supposed to be like. I think about Bill Clinton. When Bill Clinton in, entered the primary, I think it was a huge primary. And he was in, like, last place. And then something changed. And 
And so, like, maybe this is what it's supposed to look like. Maybe it's supposed to be a mess like this. Well, I think that is the idea behind primaries is to sort of scope out what people are looking for in the party. Yeah. It's and what's going to make what's going to have them like what it's basically like saying, like, what's it going to take to vote Democrat this next election? Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of candidates who get to make their pitch. And if if something strikes a chord and they they get the nomination and they they go on to do well i mean it's just gauging what the public wants and right now i think that's a real big issue with deciding which candidate is going to end up being the best because it's unclear what the american people really want right now yeah and the really interesting part is that's even going to change from now from the first primary to the last oh, one oh for sure um on top of that what you just said you know the purpose of the primary is also the fatal flaw of the primary because activists which are a very small part of each political party they're the ones that show up generally they're further they on run, the spectrum they run the whole thing and and so what's it what would it take I, this is a thought experiment what would it take to get your neighbor to caucus yeah yeah i don't know it's crazy. You either you're going to the caucus or, or what you're would it not, take you to caucus? Not be you got to be really passionate in order to show up to do that for hours, you know? I totally agree. It is such a small group trying to choose who who is supposed to be the most electable candidate. And I think they say because they can win a plurality of Democrats, then they're supposed to win a plurality of the country. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't translate well into the true attitudes of the rest of the nation. But and the, but that's also true for our national elections themselves. I mean, think of the percent of U.S. citizens who actually vote. At it's the very best, f- it's like fifty. It's like around fifty. Yeah, that's so depressing. About half of us actually go. We out and all vote. complain about it, though. Oh, everyone. Yeah, everyone talks about. It, everyone complains about it. But when push comes to shove, like showing up to the polls and having your say, I don't want to come across as like degrading, but maybe it's not degrading, but. I can't think of a scenario in which I wouldn't go vote. It takes, I agree. It takes a few minutes, and well, you're signing the social contract. That's what you're doing when you go out and vote. But I think you sign it no matter what because you're going to be part of that. But it's almost like you don't get a but say it's, in the terms it's like of that a, contract. It's yeah, it's like a formal declaration that you're a part of this nation. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I, I mean yeah, I agree, and like. But I, I just don't get it. Like, there's so many people, especially when I'm like, we do this thing called cutting turf where we go in and we cut the doors we need to knock mm-hmm. on for our candidates. And when I see how many doors don't have voters in them, I'm just like, what on earth? Yeah. But you know those neighbors come home from work and talk to each other about politics and stuff. Oh, for sure. One of those neighbors didn't go vote. <laughs> they might say they voted, though. It just totally blows my mind. But I want to get back on, like, this primary specifically. Um... And I want to talk, I mean, there's a, quite a few candidates that I want to talk about tonight. Um, do you have a favorite right now? I, I do. And I'm sad about who it is. Because I really, I have wanted Kamala Harris to be the president since I learned who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still do think she is, but right now I just like have this, like I'm fangirling over Pete Buttigieg. Oh, um, you're still into, you're I still am. into him? I Mayor Pete, uh, he's young. He has a seriously impressive resume. I'm scared about his core packing, though. Yeah, and you that's know the he's thing. Pack those he scores. has very 
outlandish ideas that he somehow makes sound rational. Like, I don't look at him and group him, like, with Bernie Sanders. Because he also has this moderate appeal. He seems like an FDR type. That's very true, but he's very young. Like, and just how much he's accomplished in such a short life um, just blows me away and seeing how quickly he's taken off. And the real question that I keep seeing is, is he a flavor of the month? You know, is is he kind of the cool, glamorous thing, but then Gillibrand's going to have some rock star moment? Oh, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, that was a bad <laughs> choice. Um, but at the same time, I just think Pete is so substantive that he didn't just have a one-time home run answer at a town hall or something. Everything that comes out of his mouth continues to impress me. Um, whether we can sell it to the whole country, I don't know. Um, I just think it's interesting just how much mudslinging is going on already. I mean, think of all of the candidates who, not but a week after they've announced they're going to run, or even when they haven't announced yet, their name is suddenly tarnished forever. I mean, it's... Amy Klobuchar, she had a rough start. Oh, yeah. She has such a bad rep now. She really does. And she had a bad reputation on the Hill You can't think of Amy Klobuchar now without imagining her, like, throwing shit at interns. (laughs) Staplers. Yeah. And eating off a comb. Oh, there's that, too. She ate her salad off a comb and then made a joke about dandruff. (laughs) Like, she made it so much worse. Um, And the sad part was, I would have considered Amy Klobuchar to be a phenomenal running mate option before she ran for president. Yeah. And now she's, like, ruined that in my mind. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because, I mean, think of the ego it takes to say, like, I am the new face of the Democratic Party. I am and, what the country needs to save And them you right take now. all these massive egos and then you're clashing them against each other. And I mean, you spend so much money doing it. Yeah. Like, you spend a lot of other people's money because you think you are the best. Like, you think you are what we need. Um, I'd like to think there are still people who genuinely feel a call to it. But I'm skeptical, man. They all look like they're enjoying it too much. I know, I know. You can tell. And it's so creepy. It's like a creepy kind of like enjoying. It's not like, oh, I like to go out there and make a change. It's like, this is like the next step for me. Yeah. And in some of these candidates, it's almost sad how little they've taken off, especially Cory Booker, man. He's the one that just really (laughs) blows my mind. What was that that recent clip? Maybe you can pull it up. It was, uh, he was giving like this motivational talk. But it came off, like, really forced. He's going to have... A Spartacus w- moment? Spartacus. <laughs> who was the one? Uh, Howard Dean. Howard Dean. He, um, he won, like, the Iowa caucus. And he started shouting at the top of his lungs. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and a classic. Dean Scream. Dean Scream. Yeah. Um, and... And, like, I, I think Cory Booker, like, I think his is just going to, he's just going to have a weird town hall or something, and it's just going to fade out. He'll go back to being, like, a semi-popular Democratic senator. Yeah. And maybe he'll have a future in the party later on. You think it'll be, like, a Lindsey Graham type thing where it's, like, you don't, you won't even remember that he ran? Yeah. Yeah. He'll say all these awful things about the other Democrats running. <laughs> right, right. And then, like, he'll go on to, like, be their vice president. <laughs> That's like uh, when Hillary became Obama's secretary mm-hmm. of state. Like, they had a disgusting primary. Oh, they did, yeah. More negative money was spent in that primary than, like, any. And it, and then she went on to be the secretary of state. Yeah. So, but um, do you like any of them? I mean, are any of them Let's tolerable? Let's talk about Andrew Yang. 
I want to talk about Joe Biden first, actually. Oh, you want to talk about Joe Biden first? Andrew Yang, I think we're going to have to talk about a little longer. So let's let's talk about Joe. Okay, so Joe Biden is actually my favorite. No, uh, not not even close. But uh, there's been... he's This is actually really interesting because he hasn't even formally announced yet, but it's almost certain that he's going to. It's like we're all kind of sitting around waiting for him to change his mind. Like, he... It's like he's convinced he's running right now, but we're hoping something is going to talk him out of it. Right. And something is trying to. Uh, A lot of people are trying to, I'm sure, now, because uh, there's been recent news that's coming up, which it's not real. I don't really consider it news. It's It's just a resurfacing of things that everyone's already known about. I mean, there's videos of him uh, acting really sort of touchy and a little creepy with, with women and... Like these video, like I said, these videos have been around for a while. I remember seeing them years ago. Yeah. And now he's presumably running for president, and suddenly they're all resurfacing, which just uh, sort of reinforces just how uh, ugly these um, these primaries are already getting. But at the same time, I think we should talk about the actual, like, the the actual weight of what these really are, like these videos and and his behavior with women, because I think it is important especially uh in the current like era we're living in like who like what do we find acceptable and what do we want in someone who we we're going to elect to be our uh our leader yeah no i totally agree and um and and biden has always been problematic um you know we all kind of made fun of him as obama's vice president right um i think he is a good american i think he has done a lot of service for his country and he's been put through hell a lot like he's had some serious family issues and but he's always continued to serve regardless of that um and i think like he was one of the giants of the senate for sure but i almost wish like maybe vice president is just what he was supposed to be and and he can go down in history with a phenomenal vice presidential legacy i I was really excited for him to run for president and it's kind of changed recently it well, just seems like a liability. Especially the momentum he's coming off of. I mean, he had I mean, he obviously has the biggest name recognition in the by nation. Far. He's polling the highest without even Well, that's what I'm talking about. Like yeah. just by name recognition alone, he was polling in the lead since people that since they've been polling. But now it seems like that's just going to taper off. I just don't know if people are like there it he seems can only like go down while all the other candidates go up. Exactly. I mean, there basically everyone has everything to gain. And Joe Biden just has everything to lose at this point. His just, crowd that he has right now, that's his crowd. Yeah. And even they're going to start thinking Beto is just the younger Biden. Once more names start coming out and people are, they're registering with people yeah. and, uh, you know, big ad campaigns are, are, are started yeah. as the primaries continue. When the debates start, that's going to be big. Most of these candidates you've heard of so far has only been through earned media. Exactly. Nobody, they've been, they have done absolutely nothing to actually try and get your name, their name in your house. Yes. And once that starts, it's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. Yeah. We, like who knows what's going to register yeah. at this point? Because, and this is where we can start, we can get into Andrew Yang because, uh, the the problems that sparked the Trump presidency that originally started it, those are not just going to go away. Nope. They're still going to be around. And the question is, how are the Democrats going to address those problems? Because they obviously didn't have the solution that the American people were looking for 
in 2016. And that caused such a radical shift to the other side. And for people to say like, well, maybe this guy can help because he's saying shit that we haven't heard before. And he's addressing problems that have been ignored and are still being ignored. Yeah. So looking forward, I think Andrew Yang, I, the, the meme, he's, he's actually, uh, I mean, he literally is a meme right now. The only people who like him so far are the people who subscribe to the right. meme. But I want to argue today that he should be taken seriously. Yeah. And at the very least, his ideas should be given the time of day. Because I think once you get past the obvious, like, funny meme memeiness of, of the campaign, uh, he's talking about some serious issues, and his solutions might be worth considering. Yeah, no, I actually really agree. Um, you know, so far I haven't been sold on the person, but I've been sold on the policies. Agreed. They're, they are ahead of their time, but I think they're what we need. Um, the world is changing. But it's interesting that you say that, because... They're ahead of their time, but they're not ahead of their time. They're ahead. Of, they sound ahead of their time. Yes, that's true. He comes off as ahead of. He comes off as being a distant thinker and him wanting to plan for the future. When really he's trying to now. fix the problems that need help right now. Yeah. And it's not until that reaches such a critical level that people are going to start registering that he's this is actually happening. About now. the issues that the Democrats would be talking about in a quarter of a century, mm-hmm. and they'd be behind. But that's what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to jump the gun, but universal basic income—that is his biggest thing. Uh, he calls it the freedom dividend. Um, and what he wants to do is give a thousand dollars a month to every American over the age of eighteen as a supplemental income. Um, and it's something Democrats have talked about. Well, it's something politicians have talked about for decades now i mean yeah it's always that it's always been an idea that's been floating in the ether of intellectual policy discussion but it's never really seen the light of day there's been some instances where there's been some cash transfer program around somewhere but the an actual legitimate experiment about what that would actually look like how it'd be implemented and the effects it would have that's never really been tested on yeah on any sort of scale that that can render or that can offer data as to whether or not it's a good idea. But conceptually, I think it it's the right way to be thinking at, uh, in the times we're living in because we are undergoing a technological and economic change that has never, never been, been seen. seen. Yeah, never. Exactly. Never. Um, no, I totally agree with you. And I think it's it's wrong of me to think of it as a far left idea because he, Bernie Sanders doesn't talk about universal basic income. Elizabeth Warren doesn't talk about it. It's not a far left idea. It's it, it also it's, exists it's off the spectrum. In, it, it exists. There's a form of basic income arguments that are made from every end of the ideological spectrum. I've seen libertarians make arguments for it. I've seen conservatives make arguments for it. I've seen, you know, communists, socialists, leftists, centrist people, people who are nonpartisan. I've seen so many people argue that universal basic income could be a good idea. Why do you believe that the countries? I mean, I generally see a lot of the Nordic countries in terms of progressive policies to basically just be a couple decades ahead of us. We've 
almost always followed in step when it comes to especially like socialization, like socialized programs, building the social safety net. We've basically followed in their footsteps. Because um, we've bureaucratized the whole thing. That's very true. And that's why... But Eddie, why did they just... Why have all of them said no to UBI? Well, I just said it. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. You you mean why are they rejecting UBI? Yeah. I, I think, think that, I mean, that's a great just point. just recently even had a referendum on it. And, and is it just because nobody has made the argument right yet? I don't know. It, it, that's probably part of it, that it hasn't been articulated in a good way. I mean, people think universal basic income and they think, well, no one's going to work anymore. Like, it's just like the government has completely taken over uh, every aspect of people's lives. But what they don't realize is that this could be a fantastic middle ground and replacement for the bureaucratized social safety net that yeah. a lot of people really don't like. And, and that's for many reasons. Yeah. It, it, the, the actual consequence of it being so bureaucratized is it's a violation of people's freedoms or so some yeah. see, but this takes that away because you're giving people the freedom to spend that money however they want. If they want to invest it in their healthcare, if they want to, you know, I, and I'm not talking about a thousand dollars a month here. I mean, a thousand dollars a month can help you with rent or, you know, something it, it could, it could help. Yeah. But if we're talking about weaning off the, the, this huge social safety net and into something that puts more freedom in the hands of people, I think that, I, th I think there's a good argument to be made for it. Um, I, you know, I believe the Reagan era conservative, which I think there's plenty of them still alive today. They weren't against the social safety net. Um, you know, conservatives have always been proponents of the social safety net. They were against the abuse of the social safety net. And so the ultimate question or problem that I think the Reagan era conservative is will always be trying to solve is how do we get this program to a point where it cannot be abused, where it, would it, where it is purely a social safety net, where it is not socialism, it's not handouts, it is to it is to give people something to for them to bounce off of when they fall and get back up. But that's and, why... And that's why... That's the conservative argument for UBI right there. UBI is an abuse-free social safety net. Because what's the worst that can happen? They stick it into a savings account? Or they invest it into the economy? And then banks get to loan out that money when it's in a savings account. Like, it stimulates the economy no matter what. It, exactly. It moves money from here to there. That is the biggest problem with the American economy. The money doesn't disappear. It's just stagnant. People stop well, spending. Well, it's not completely stagnant. It is, I mean... Uh, no, but I'm saying during a recession, there is more stagnant money than there was during a big boom. The wealthy folks are holding on to it. The, like, it is somewhere that it is not being touched by the middle class, by the spenders. Um, and and UBI does not allow for that. It is constantly moving. It is constantly generating so much economic activity that it, we've. it's unlike anything we've ever seen before. Like... Pumping that much money into the pocket of every American, just giving them cash, it, it blows my mind. Yeah, and I'd certainly prefer that to them, you know, uh, signing up for, like, government health care or something like that. I mean, I, I just think it's, it's a good middle ground, again, because 
the the right wants to promote freedom <laughs> the left wants to promote you know what they believe to be the general welfare care of, of each yeah. other yeah and this is a good way for people to be free to take care of themselves so i want to circle in a little with andrew yang and the way he um the biggest thing is cost you know when i was yes. doing the research it was something like four trillion dollars annually um give or take yeah but he breaks i mean that's the entire current federal operating budget right. is 3.9 trillion something like that right um i think i hope i'm not wrong on that and like but he breaks it down so well there's so many reasons why it pays for itself and it's just he crazy. also wants a value added tax yeah too. i don't fully understand what that is but maybe you do some uh, i know that some european countries use that almost all of them i think is what it says yeah because it's it was it's european union is i think what instituted it is it on his website yeah um yeah under how yeah. value added tax so um, you implement a value-added tax. Um, a value-added tax is a tax on the production of goods and services a business produces. It is a fair tax, and it makes it much harder for large corporations who are experts at hiding profits and income to avoid paying their fair share. To me, that doesn't really explain what it is and how it's taxed. But Yeah, from how I understand it, it's when you take a good and you do something to it that creates value, you get taxed on that added value. That's, I mean, I, it's kind of in the name, yeah. but that's that's how I understand it to be. I, I could be a little wrong, but uh, that's I think that's generally correct. Um, and I, I really can't get past this part. I mean, for example, like, it, you know, to pass a UBI, I think one of the big fears is, well, does that mean we're going to eliminate the social safety net? And I, I think the answer is no. We're going to eliminate the need for the social safety net. I think that's right. You know, they're not going to pass UBI and then put social security on the chopping block. Um, most of our welfare programs are either based off the status of your employment or you reach a certain threshold with your financial status. Mm -hmm. And every single person will get a boost to where we're all just going to no longer be eligible. That's the point is for eventually no one to be eligible for the social safety net. So we don't even need it. And then when, yeah, I want to think on a broader scale here too. Yeah. Uh, when you think of the world in which we need universal basic income, what that looks like, it's not that different, but it's going to be a extreme version of the world we're living in, in which everything's automated or a lot of things are automated. A lot of basic tasks are automated. Yeah. AI is on the horizon oh, or, they, or here. Uh, it's here. And who knows what that's going to bring along with it. That's a whole new can of worms. I mean, this, this is going to be a world in which in order to empower people to benefit from this new economy, I think it's it might be necessary. Yeah. Well, and, and right before we got started recording, we were talking about the, the generational shift, shifting our labor force. For all of human history, manufacturing was with your hands, with basic tools. And then all of a sudden, it was with these simple machines. Um, and then... I mean, the world was terrified when that happened because machines were taking over. And that was, I think, the first big push to automation. Um, and and I think we're at the second one now, or there's been several, but we're at a huge one right now. And, and this one's really scary. 
and this one I think is going to have such a huge effect. I think for the first time in like recorded history, the labor force is just going to look different. Like I think that's true. I think there's going to be such a major shift towards just basically what's really happening here is the IQ threshold for what's uh, profitable is going to be swung upwards yeah. in a way that hasn't been seen before. And everyone who's left behind is going to be seriously left behind. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's not going to be within one generation, and that's the really scary part. Um, the 60-year-olds who have worked in the factory for 30 years, they're not going to learn how to code. Right. Like, the, nor would they probably want to. Yeah. I mean, if you've been doing the same job for 30 years as a manufacturer... And then someone's telling you to go back to school. Yeah. And I would be like, no, go walk yourself. Go walk yourself. <laughs> um, no, I totally agree. And that's the really scary part. And that's why I think UBI has to come sooner rather than later, because I think that's already happening. Like these manufacturing jobs are shipping Four million overseas have been lost. and they're not being replaced by just as many workers overseas. They're being replaced by machines overseas. Like, like the, manufacturing and agriculture, those are two of the biggest sectors in the United States, and they are most at risk to automation. And that's not even mentioning driving. Oh, gosh, driving scares me. What is that? That's 4 million, there's 4 million truckers or something like that? That's some crazy number. Yeah. I mean, there, it's a huge part of the workforce. And then you think of how many Uber drivers there are, Yeah. Um, taxi drivers. I mean, truck drivers is the big one. And with truck drivers, well, with drivers in That's general... That's going to be the first to go. They'll leave drivers in the car for a while, but every day that that position exists is a gift from these companies. Right. You know, they could get rid of you. It's only red tape And also they were talking about being able to do one driver and then have like five trucks behind it as a caravan. Oh my and that, that's, that's five jobs lost for every truck. Yeah. So now you, you've already reduced the workforce. And then when they eliminate those jobs... I mean, there's going to be no truck drivers. It's yeah. going to be all engineers that operate these. Uh, well, the ones who will be profiting will be the engineers who are making them. And, yeah. and, you know, but the actual driving job is just not going to exist in a very short period of time, too. This is not like, you know, 50, 100 years. This is this is the technology's there. It's there. It's been slow to implement, but it's there. Um you know, Elon Musk was saying Tesla semi-trucks could be coming off the assembly line. I saw that, yeah. Anytime now. They look so sick. They do. <laughs> they really do. That guy just blows my mind. Oh, man. I don't want to get into a whole Elon Musk tangent, but... he. I think he supports UBI as well. Yeah. Yes, he does. So he and his take on it is exactly my take. I don't like what's going to happen. I don't want robots to take your job. This is just something that's going to happen. Yes. And so do we wait for it to just... And it's not going to be like we have time to prepare. It's slowly happening, and then it'll just be here. And so we can either wait till it comes and fall on our faces, or it can be proactive. Yep. Um, I think universal basic income is terrifying, and it is radical, but sometimes... But the alternative might be more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. There's for a... everyone. It's yeah. not it's and it's not like if you don't have if you don't have a manufacturing job, if you don't have a driving job, that you're safe. One out of three Americans are at risk of losing their jobs to new technologies. Next twelve years. Next twelve years. That's from Andrew. And then Yang's think about website. twenty years. Thirty four I mean, think of how radical of a change 
technology has made in the past 30 years. Well, and yeah, no. Well, and I want to repeat this. Like, think about how much the computer has changed in the past year. Yeah. We've made more progress on technology in the past year than we had made in the 10 years before that. And in the past 10 years, we had made more progress on technology than we we had made in the past 50 years, so on and so forth. It is exponential growth. It is already self-correcting. You know, it doesn't have a conscience yet, but <laughs> it is self-correcting already at a speed there. that scares me. Um, we're all willingly putting robots in our house that listen to us. But the problem is it makes our lives so much easier. And they're so convenient. Yes, of course. I mean, think of how often we have these guys and we're carrying them around, giving them all of our information. Let the record reflect. Oh yeah, I have my phone here. But yeah, I mean, like it's it's already altered our way of thinking. Yeah. Social media alone has altered the way we interact with each other, the way we think, what we do. Yeah. It's and this is we're at the very beginning of a very long saga of technological advancements and societal advance you know advancements who knows what to expect um you know there i've read articles about um a future where the workforce just almost isn't a thing um where we have to just accept a reality where like people don't work you know like everything that would be awesome and then universal basic income would no longer be like a thousand dollars, but you'd have a full livable income off of it. And like, but the what's what scares me about that scenario, which I don't even know I how think, to imagine. I it. think we're really far off from that. Yeah, I think we I are will too. say we're. I will say that. I think that's a Our, season two of Go On. Who even just knows conspiracy what? theories? <laughs> um, well, this is a, this is an interesting theory. Uh, I've heard it before. I'm not entirely convinced, but. But Eddie, but who's controlling all that money? That's who's isn't who, that full automation by the mercy of the tech lords? Oh, we, they're gracing us with income. Look at what a company. Okay, look at Standard Oil. A company of that size was just unheard of, and now Facebook, Google, Apple—they make Standard Oil look like a joke, and that's only going to continue. I think that there are several companies in the world right now that could take over the world. That are very close to being able Facebook, to take over the Amazon. world. If you put, if if you were to be able to team up five companies to just take over the world, we talked about that, didn't we? We did. We did. Yeah. I said if you could, if you if five of those major companies, Facebook, or maybe not five, maybe three. Three. Let's do three: Google, Facebook, Amazon. If you had them all team up together and take on the U.S. government or the U.S. military, who would win? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I have my money on Amazon. <laughs> Who knows what they're developing right now? I mean, Jeff Bezos has like a space program he's working on. So does Elon Musk. Yeah. All of these guys, I mean, Elon Musk even more so. I mean, Elon Musk has sent Oh, I wouldn't write rockets. Bezos off yet. No, no, I'm not he's writing him off. He's right now with it, but that's just because he's not into the showmanship like Elon. 100%. Yeah. I think Elon does it from his heart. I think he yeah. really is passionate about ex- Whereas space Bezos, exploration. Man, Bezos He's thinking, is the scariest guy on earth. <laughs> he yeah, Mark Zuckerberg is up there too, but I think Bezos might take the cake. Bezos has the attitude of a villain though. 
Yeah. Zuckerberg is just like a robot. He, and Bezos is so shameless. Like he's smirking at you always. He's like, yeah, you know what I'm These doing. Peasants. I know what I'm doing. And there's nothing you can do about it because you love one click. Well, it's weird. And it's weird because we don't talk about Amazon the way we talk about Facebook. Like we all talk about Facebook. Like it's ruining our lives and selling our information to China. Um, whereas Amazon, we all like worship that company. Like Amazon makes our lives better. Facebook is like, I think we all secretly hate how much we use Facebook. Amazon? And yeah, you can't really say that Facebook makes your life better. It might make some things easier yeah. connecting with people, but yeah. to say it makes your life better is really... That's... Oh, but I'm, you could say that Amazon has a, makes a tangible difference yeah. uh, to your life in a generally positive way. It's really easy. Like, if you need something, you can log on Amazon and, you know, order it in two seconds. And it'll be at your door the next day. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's I, the great. Cord for the microphones for the podcast. Yeah, I didn't have this yesterday. Right. And I think that's a, I think that's cool. I mean, that, and then they're moving into drones, so you'll have <laughs> and food delivery drones. Yeah, they're gonna food, do delivery. food delivery. And they're in everything. I mean, so much of the web is run on Amazon Web Services now. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost everything. I remember Amazon Web Services went down. I think this past summer. Really. And most of the internet was down. Basically, you wow. know, Twitter was down. Everything. Facebook, I think, wasn't, but. And that just, that blows my mind. Um, yeah, Amazon just really scares me. I don't even know what Facebook is doing. but Well, Facebook is gathering as much data as it possibly can. They have profiles on people who don't even have Facebook accounts. Yeah. Like, they're just collecting information about people. Just crawling the web. It's really quite interesting how that's evolved. It is. So quickly. And And that's what scares me about tech in general, is it's not here till it's here. Um, it creeps up on you. And then it's just too late. You know, a grip could have, the government maybe could have got a grip on Amazon, put up some red tape before they passed. I don't know. I I think this sort of advancement, it feels inevitable. Oh, yeah. I mean, we just, uh, I, we were talking about this earlier. We, we really are pioneers in every aspect yeah. of society. I mean, we're pioneers uh, socially. We're pioneers, you know, in the literal sense that we like to go out and explore. I mean, that's where the space programs are coming from yeah. for the most part. We naturally but like we're also ourselves. economic pioneers. Mm-hmm. We're looking for the next best thing. And the people who are, you know, it, who are in charge, they're thinking of the next way that they can create the new market. Yeah. They, they don't want to, they don't want to be on top of the game. They want to define the game. They, they want to make a new bigger game. Yeah. And they're always thinking of the next grand idea and sometimes you get something like facebook yeah amazon you know these huge huge companies that have redefined what the market even is i and i have two things to say to that first um you know it's crazy to me that at one point someone thought to design this transactional society like we were given rocks and sticks and it somehow developed into you're channeling your inner rousseau now i am like i honestly am like we actually thought to like build this weird society set of rules that doesn't actually exist um and just all abide by it um but and then when i i want to get into facebook like that company when did zuckerberg realize what he had when did he realize what he had made Who knows originally what's going through his head? honestly originally he made it probably in a really creepy motive like didn't he i mean it had something to do with his college and that he just wanted information yeah it was actually it was a it was a mini sort of social network that existed on the college alone 
And it was actually him and a couple guys, I believe. I I remember watching the movie The Social Network, yeah. and there's this whole controversy with whose idea it was. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, you'll just have to watch the movie. I don't remember the story, per se. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I it, He couldn't have known from the very beginning. I mean, no. this this seems like something. But at the same time, he really got a hold of it. When he, when he noticed what it was, he didn't let it go out of his control. He seemed to always have control over the situation. Yeah. And he really adapted to what he created. And, none and of that's us, really something. None of us were afraid of it until it was too late. Like, he, he had kept it so low-key until, boom, he owns the world. Right. Wow. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, I, just, I don't know. But good for him. He's- so someone's listening in who works for him so <laughs> they scrub it i mean the second yeah. i upload it they all scrub it they all have transcripts of it that's right um, yeah so this whole episode has basically been a bunch of conspiracy theories <laughs> but i mean okay. it's not a conspiracy theory i mean these are theories yeah but there's no conspiracy yeah but eddie i mean i'm excited we're we're doing this again yeah, no this is great um you know i think that we have a cool project here and we really want to do something with it um, and we hope it goes well. You know what we are? We're the podcast we're pi- pioneers. Ca- podcast counterculture. <laughs> are we the Grateful Dead of <laughs> of podcasts? Yeah, Eddie and I are really into Grateful Dead now. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for listening to season two, attempt two, episode, episode one. one and a half. Um, and tune in next week because we'll have more discussion more news more content god who knows what, who knows what next week's gonna look like i don't know maybe eddie will be shrieking the quad because oh we have to talk about that adam schiff man Get what a here. cool dude okay there's anyways. nothing more to talk about anyways all right all right well eddie go wonk yourself go wonk yourself <laughs>